I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Scott Davis, author of Surf the Seesaw, Unconventional Essays on Balance, Beauty, and Meaning in Life. Inspired by his life and adventures, business leader, tech founder, and adventurer Scott Davis shares engaging stories from his existence of off-the-beaten-path. Each one reveals powerful truths about human nature, relationships, decision-making, parenting, and the ever-pondered topic, the meaning of life. When he was 30, Forbes called him one of the country's most promising young corporate executives, but Davis stepped off the career treadmill to spend years exploring the world. His adventures led him to remote shores in the South Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Caribbean, where he faced many challenges, met many interesting people, and saw many different models of meaningful living. For anyone searching for lasting satisfaction and meaning in life, Davis offers the essential toolkit needed to create balance, accountability, and greater happiness. Welcome to the show, Scott. Nice to have you on. Wow, Catherine, that's quite an introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, well, let's go for it. And uh, actually, I'm going to just take that kind of that last sentence, creating balance, accountability, and greater happiness. I mean, it seems to me everybody says they want to do that, but we very often end up not being able to for whatever reason. So let's hear your story and how you got out of the corporate world and decided not for me and uh, really took a, a 180 turn to pursue what you thought was important. Yes. Well, I was very lucky early in my 20s. Some powerful guys picked me up and set my career on a trajectory that really compressed everything and allowed me to achieve some, some things that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. And one along the way, one of the things that I learned was that uh, you could see where this was going, and it was just going to more and more and more, more money, more uh, repeats of the same playbook, more doing the same thing, more reinforcing the same identity. And you know, I could tell that that was not where the meaning of life was going to be found. So uh, I just sold everything, gave everything away, and bought an old sailboat and took off to the Caribbean. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking you just sold the boat, went off to the Caribbean by yourself, alone, with people who were encouraging you to do this? Or, I mean, you're just, (laughs) I mean, or telling you don't do it. Yeah. Well, most of the people that were in my life were uh, telling me that I shouldn't do it. Um, I think that we get very comfortable um, with the people in our lives doing particular roles. Um, We're accustomed to them behaving in certain ways, doing certain things, being present at certain moments, essentially playing roles in our own lives. Um, And so we sort of view them as role players in our play. Uh, But I think that at that moment, what I realized was that I wasn't going to be any good to anybody else uh, for very long if I didn't do this thing that, that I really felt I needed deep down. And so, uh, you know, there's in Surface Seesaw, there's actually a chapter on, you know, the things that we think are good, but in the extreme, those things become bad. And any good thing, even in the extreme, becomes bad. Um, And so you could think about selflessness as one of those examples. If if I never engage in self-care, if I never read, if I never take time for myself, if I never feed my soul, I will shortly be of very little use to anyone around me. And so at some point we have to accept the fact that if something like selfishness 
even something as bad, we think, as selfishness is actually not bad in the in little amounts. And if something like selflessness, which we think of as good, can actually become bad in extreme, then we really kind of have to come back to life is about balance and it's about recognizing in these moments, well, what do I need right now? And so that's really where the title of the book came from. You know, surf the seesaw is standing on top of the seesaw on the playground with one foot on each side of the fulcrum and actively keeping both seats in the air. And it's a dynamic act, you know, as a child would engage in that. It's not a static equilibrium. So you don't just find a position and stay there. You're constantly adapting. And in this particular case, with my leaving the States and going abroad, it was just a moment in which I needed to do something for me. And as it turns out, I've come back to the States and I'm highly engaged with my wonderful friends and my wonderful family, um, all of whom, when I left, thought, oh, my God, Scott, what are you doing? No, don't do that. We, we want you. We need you. Well, I just needed some time on my own, and then I'm back, and, and I can help them the way that I did before. So what you're saying is, and uh, is self-care, the first has to, for us, has to be self-care, and then we can care for others. Um, but this selflessness, but we kind of in our, I think in our culture, we kind of encourage this kind of attitude of, uh, you know, uh, when people, I hate to say this, but when people die, oh, they would do any, they give you the shirt off their back, they would do anything, they only cared about everybody else. I mean, you hear this all the time, and what a good thing that is, which it's... Yeah, and I also think that um, narcissism is a clinical condition, but the word yeah. narcissism gets used way too much these much. days. Like every time somebody does something that that they need, when they make a choice for themselves over someone else, then they very quickly get labeled as a narcissist. And I just think that that's just a bad impulse uh, for us to sling that word around. A lot of times people are just engaging in self-care or they're simply following um, a path that they feel drawn to for their soul. And the fact that they're doing that, it's, they're drawn towards something. They're not, they're not actively turning their back on you. That's just a consequence of them draw, being drawn to something. And we need to respect their, their journey um, toward what they're called toward. Let's talk about in terms of kids, because, you know, that's where it starts, positive parenting. How do you raise kids to be able to be able to do just what we're talking about, self-care, healthy, balance? And I think in the beginning, I also we said accountability. Uh, how do, where do you begin? Where do you begin with your own children? Wow. Well, my kids are 32 and 30 now. So back into the memory machine. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> um, I'll just say that, uh, you know, I had kids really early and uh, we made a huge amount of mistakes in raising them simply because we were growing up as we were growing them. So we like to say that we it was a partnership between the kids and us. And I think that there's something really attractive about this idea of Parenting is a dance with your children. Um, they're going to make some choices and you're going to respond to those choices and then they're going to respond to your response. And the whole idea for me, the most important thing is to realize that uh, children are emergent. They're going to become something that you, you can't know, you can't see. Uh, so a good example is, uh, I'll give you two good examples actually. One of my sons uh, growing up was, 
what people would call a jock, you know, big, strong, athletic guy, really into sports. Um, and at one point he said, you know, I want to go to college and play lacrosse. And everybody was encouraging him along that path. And uh, ultimately he got into a, uh, an elite program, like an all-star program. And his team was just completely destroyed. They, they were just beat so badly by some lacrosse guys from the hotbed of Baltimore. And so it really adjusted Hunter's expectation about who he was, his identity. And um, fortunately for him, he now became, he's one of the world's top quantum physicists. He is a chief scientist at a biotech firm. He went to the University of Chicago. He got his PhD at Caltech. He did his postdoc at Harvard. In other words, he's a brainy dude. And so I think that the story there is just to say that sometimes our kids manifest particular preferences or ideas early in their lives. And it's, it's tempting for us as parents to latch onto that and say, this is your identity. But in reality, those little human beings, they're just morphing and we, we don't know who they're going to be. And so the real job is to make sure that we're creating space for them to be able to adapt um, on their own and become whatever it is that they're going to be. And that'll be a surprise and it'll be wonderful. I mean, that has to be the biggest surprise ever. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Quantum physics, Harvard, I mean, and University of Chicago and on and on, I guess, right? But to, I mean, take a turn. Yeah, he, yeah, he, was, yeah, he just wasn't really... He was not a student, and then suddenly he was. And kids can make, uh, they can surprise us in so many ways. Uh, when Hunter got married, he calls me the night before he's going to get married and says, Hey, Dad, I just wanted to tell you that I've decided to um, change my last name and take Katie's last name. And uh, that was a yes, huge yes. shock. <laughs> That's a big shock, right? He's my, yeah. he's my firstborn. I'm a firstborn. My father's a firstborn. His father's a firstborn. And so there was just all of this legacy and all this baggage. And Hunt just said, you know, I'm, I'm doing something different. And it shocked me. Like, where in the world did that come from? But when I took a step back and looked at the principles that we'd kind of indoctrinated him in as he was growing up, respect for other people, particularly respect for your spouse, um, the importance of gender equality. It made perfect sense that he would take that key that we had given him, those principles, and then he'd riff his own jazz of, you know what, I'm going to put a punctuation point on that. I'm going to take Katie's last name. I'm going to be Hunter Ozawa now. And I just thought, man, I never saw that coming. But that is what it means for a child to emerge, to take a grain of programming that we've given them and to just riff something totally their own. How long did it take you after he told you that? I'm sure I, I'm making the assumption when he told you it wasn't, Oh, that's great. I, I and I support <laughs> you. I, I mean, yeah, uh, more like I, I kind of, uh, I was just confused. Uh, and so he took me, a couple of conversations with him to let him explain what was going on, what was behind that, why he was doing it. And he's a very thoughtful guy. I have a huge amount of respect for him. And most importantly, I trust his heart. I know that he is just full of love. And so that gave, that, that helped me give him the benefit of the doubt, but it was, it was a shock and any shock is difficult. So I'd say it probably took me 
probably took me a week or two to really to come to grips with it. Um, of course, I supported them immediately, but emotionally, it probably took me a week or two to realize what was going on. In South America, the they take I don't think and children take on their mother's name. I think right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, but okay. Let's talk about a universe dominated by chaos. How does this all fit into this? And seem, and it seems to me things get more and more chaotic every day. You know whether and. <laughs> <laughs> so give us the so answer true. to that. How do we balance ourselves in terms of the chaotic universe that we're living in? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny to me that when you think about kids as a starting point, their lives are full of uncertainty, exploration, experimentation, and a lot of failure, right? Yeah. That's, that's what it means to be a kid. And then as adults, we see that our life feels a little bit more controlled and we think, oh, that's because we have mastered the world as adults. But in reality, what we do as adults is we create a tiny bubble, a false world, an artificial, a tiny world that walls us off from the surprise and wonder that permeate the real world. So we have this bubble where we have the illusion of predictability and control because we consume the same news. We listen to the same music. We read the same books. We live in the same house. We have the same career. We vacation in the same types of places. We have the same kinds of friends. But there's two huge problems with this bubble. One is that it's an illusion, of course. We cannot, in fact, predict the future. Just to take an example, think about all the things that have changed in the last 25 years. Just gigantic, huge, humongous changes, right? So Google did not exist 25 years ago. The iPhone didn't exist 25 years ago. Uber, Arab Spring, Me Too, Dobbs, MAGA, COVID. None of these things existed 25 years ago. And the list goes on and on and on. Basically, there are these huge changes happening every year. We cannot predict those things. So this idea that we can predict the future is a huge illusion. And it's an illusion that it makes us think that we can control the future because we can predict it. And that just leads us to frustration. So that's the first problem is the bubble makes us think we can predict the future, which makes us frustrated when we can't. It makes the us anxious problem. as well, not just, fr- I think, not just frustrated. Yeah. That's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. I'm worried about this and in constant state of worry. And, uh, but you're sure. worried about something that may never happen most of the time. Yeah. So, you're well, right. Yeah, and it, it sort of permeates our sense of, um, well, in business, we would call it strategy. Like your strategic perspective is how you think about planning for the future. And if you think about planning for the future as something that you build on top of a a forecast that is certain, like a certain knowledge of what's going to happen, well, you're going to build a certain strategy. You're going to build a certain life plan that's going to be interrupted constantly. And you're going to get very anxious about those interruptions because you know that when things change, it's going to mess up your plan. But the second piece of that that I... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So what, how, because people are listening and say, well, you know, I have to plan for my retirement. I have to plan sure. for my job and my kids and where they're going to go to school and all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So how do we kind of 
plan but not predict the future because those are two different things. Right. So create a resilience or an ability yeah. to be resilient. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I think that when, you know, what I'm trying to do with Cirque Seesaw is to it's just present an invitation to strip away some of these illusions, to see the world as it is. It's this pulsing, wonderful, pulsing orb of change. Things are constantly changing. And if we see those changes as opportunities, as energy pulses that are traveling into our lives, kind of like waves at a surf break, these are things we can ride. They are, in fact, energy. And the evolutionary biologist would tell you that stasis is death. What is life is change because it's, it's literally the energy that drives adaptation and learning, just like where we started with the child, right? They, they fail all the time because they're trying new things all the time. And so part of what we're trying to do is to say, well, if I want to have that life of growth, of wonder, of experimentation, of learning, the first thing I have to do is I have to open up my world. I have to open up what I can see, what I'm willing to consider, what I'm willing to respond to. And of course, that's going to create a situation in which planning for A to B to C to D, well, that's, that could be very hard doing the traditional planning path. But think about it like a video game. Like if you're, you're in a single-person video game, you could say in advance, okay, I know I'm going to do exactly this. I'm going to go to this room and then I'm going to go to this door and then I'm going to run across this way and then I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to pick up this thing. I'm going to put it in my backpack. I'm, I know I'm never going to run out of resources. I know that the players that I'm um, playing against, that they're never going to do anything unpredictable. So this is how I'm going to win. I'm going to go A, B, C, D, win. Well, you know, everybody knows, everybody who's listening knows that's never going to work out because you're going to get in the game and what's going to happen is the door is not going to be where you thought it was and the resource isn't going to be where you thought it was and somebody's going to do something you didn't expect them to do. So the ideal plan for a video game is to understand some basic principles, understand some basic objectives directionally about where you'd like to head and improvise during the experience because you can't know what opportunities are going to be in front of you. You can't know what challenges are going to be in front of you. That's a great example. So improvise, take, and be, and I, I guess what we're saying is also, uh, accept that there's opportunities. There's lots of opportunities, but if things go wrong, there are other opportunities. You can, uh, one of the words sure. today I think is pivot, be able, um, that's kind of a trendy word, I guess, but, Pivot. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that in the in Surf the Seesaw, one of the things I talk about is the importance of understanding optionality. So from a strategic perspective, optionality is getting at this idea that my decisions today can constrain my flexibility to make decisions tomorrow. In other words, they can reduce my optionality tomorrow. And we see that a lot with um, people making choices about, for instance, what am I going to study in college? So you could say, well, I'm going to study accounting. And I'll pick accounting because, you know, it's my, my dad was an accountant. So I could pick accounting, and accounting is going to prepare me really well for an accounting job. 
and I'm going to get a good job when I get out of school in four years. So as long as four years from now, I really want to be an accountant, I'm going to be very, very well prepared. On the other hand, I could study uh, English, philosophy, literature, something like that, which is going to prepare me perfectly for basically no job, but it's going to prepare me to adapt and learn pretty much any job. So when we talk about optionality, the choices that we make today saddle our lives, our future selves with constraints. And mostly that happens when we make the false assumption that we can predict the future. Oh, I know absolutely 100% that I'm going to want to be an accountant in four years. And then two years from now, someone invites you to try out for a play that the university is putting on. And it turns out you're an amazing stage presence. And now you're like, well, I'm not quite so sure that I want to be an accountant anymore. And I really wish that I had read some more literature for the last two years because it would make me better able to deal with the thing that I want to do now. So the point is just to say your choices today can't be made strictly in the environment of today. You have to realize that they're going to put some shackles on you for the future. And what we're trying to do is to get people to recognize that if the future is uncertain, we need to make sure that the choices that we make today keep open the maximum number of possibilities for where we can bob and weave tomorrow. Oh, I'm thinking about COVID, which was predictable, predictable, but for most people, it wasn't, or we didn't want to, you know, think about that that could happen. We could have a, a pandemic, but we did. And there are those who have adapted very well and have gone and done some really great things as a result of it, or they're adapting to the pandemic, uh, and others not, and are, are still kind of stuck in, you know, this happened and not being able to get out of it, actually not following what you're talking about, not being able to do um, to do what you're talking about. And to so I, I think that's, I mean, that's it. You're talking about huge changes in the past 20 years. That's one of them. Um, yeah, I think that there's a class of people that are, they're very focused on no surprise. And if you're very focused on no surprises, it's essentially going to turn you to a rear view mirror point of view on the world and point of view on your life where I just want things to stay the same. Well, honestly, that's, it's literally the one strategy that can never work. The universe that we exist in is not going to allow that to happen. Um, it's just constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And so, Things staying the same, that's literally the one strategy you can't follow. So Now, you can, take, you can take these changes that are happening around you, and you could realize that imagine how much energy it took to get chat GPT, large language models, generative AI, how much energy it took, how many people to get computer science to this point. It's mind-boggling how much energy was injected into that wave that's now coming through society. And you could, like a kid that goes down to the beach for the first time, try to stand against the wave, and that wave is just going to wreck you, right? It's going to crash over you. It's going to smash you into the sand. Or you could just swim out into the wave and kind of bob up and down, and the wave will just take you straight up, back down. You could even learn to surf the wave. But what you can't do is you can't say, 
I am here and I am immovable and I will beat you wave. That is not going to happen. Well, that is not going to happen. We have a couple minutes left and we want to make sure that people know that by reading your book, obviously, Surf the <laughs> Seesaw, yes, Unconventional Essays on Balance, Beauty, and Meaning in Life, which Scott and I have been talking about. But there's much more in the book, obviously, reading the essays. Okay, so tell us um, where to get the book. I assume anywhere, online, bookstores. Um, right. And, yes, and about, uh, you know, work you're doing, you know, and to follow you and your work and what you do. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, there's a website for the book, surfthesesaw.com. Uh, it's on all the social channels, um, surf underscore seesaw underscore, uh, surf underscore the underscore seesaw, that is. Um, you can follow me. I blog on Substack, so look for Surf the Seesaw on Substack. Um, you can contact me on the website, and of course, the book and paperback and uh, ebook is available on all the major sites, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc., Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thanks, Catherine. It was great to be here. Thank you. Scott Davis. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 